I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello and welcome to My Millennial Property. You're with John Pigeon and I'm joined by, as always, Emily Wallace. How are you, Emily? Good. I'm here. I'm surviving. I'm thriving. All things are good. (laughs) Good to hear. Now, it's Olympics fever, isn't it? Is it ever? Actually, question for you, John. If you were an Olympian, like if you went to compete in the Olympics, what category would you be in? Category. Uh, well, Glenn asked me this the other day, actually, on on one of our other uh, episodes, and I I think I'd have to be a marathon runner, a triathlete, or a hundred meter swimmer. Okay, awesome. Now, I know I'm sort of sitting on the fence with a few there, but <laughs> I just love the explosiveness of the hundred meter final. It's just so intense um and and they are amazingly fast now i'd be none of those but i just yeah i appreciate those athletes for what they are what about you look i think i'd have to maybe go for like long jump i have really long legs so i think if i put my mind to it that could be where i end up but outside of that i'm a very uncoordinated individual as most (laughs) people will tell you so just long jump triple jump would absolutely blow my mind i don't know how they get three jumps like in succession, that in itself would just be too much to yes. think about. Yeah, well, it, it does take a little bit of coordination when you're younger, for sure. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But all in all, like I, as I said the other day to Glenn, like how good per capita is Australia? When you look at the the, the medal tally, we're, we're in the top 10 of all countries in the world. Um, we're clean. We're, we're, we're running some uh, awesome results and, and looks as though it'll probably be the best ever uh, by, by the Australian team since it started back in Athens in, what was it, 1896 or something? Of course, you know more about history than I do, but I know it was Athens, but I'm not sure what year. <laughs> <laughs> So we're not just banging on about Olympics because we, it's on at the minute. No. There's actually some relevance to this today for, for the p- property uh, moguls out there. And we're talking about the huge announcement a few weeks ago mm. to say that Brisbane has scored the 2032 Olympics, which is uh, unbelievably exciting for anyone around Australia, but more importantly for anyone who lives in Bris Vegas and surrounds. It's crazy. I mean, obviously, the last time the Olympics were here was Sydney 2000, right? Correct. Yeah. Sid, Millie and Ollie, the mascots, this is about as much as I can remember about <laughs> Olympics. I'm sure they'll have something interesting this time around. But what yes. news for Australia and more specifically Brisbane? There's a lot of excitement and mm. there's a lot of media coverage that comes with this too in anticipation for it, um, which obviously we're going to unpack. But I think it's going to be a great episode. I'm actually excited because you have got some some really interesting intel. You spend a bit more time than I looking into this from a property point of view and, and what the impact may or may not be. Um, so strap in everybody. We are going to learn a fair bit today. All right, let's do it. 
So, John, you ran a webinar recently about property and the Olympics coming to Brisbane, which obviously some would assume go hand in hand, a, a boom potentially in the market with the Olympics, or is that the case? And we're going to talk through what that could look like for 2032. And I guess maybe dispel some myths as well around what the Olympics could do to the market too. Yeah, you're right. Look, when it was first announced, um, property experts, media reps, um, chief economists, CEOs, everyone was out and about saying, look, Brisbane's going to thrive, uh, property prices are going to double, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I just wanted to, because a lot of the time we see these high level uh, headlines that people turn into facts. We read the headlines like, oh, yeah, that, that must have happened or this will happen, et cetera, mm. and that were at local barbecue and, and all of a sudden it's become fact overnight. So just wanted to really, yeah, as I said, unpack this and just um, just give some facts into what's happened previously when things like this have been announced and, and more importantly for those either investing in southeast Queensland or are looking to, what we need to factor in. Yes. And I'm sure people who have recently bought there are thinking, oh, did I buy at a good time before this announcement came out? Oh, that's, you know, could be good timing in the market for them. Who knows? Now, I mean, this might sound like a bit of a dumb question um, and excuse my ignorance, but whereabouts in Brisbane will the Olympics actually be held? Do we know that yet? We do. Okay. It was uh, it was advertised last week, I believe, and it's spread all over the shop. Um, there'll be some in the Gold Coast, there'll be some on the Sunshine Coast, but majority of it'll be in Brisbane. Uh, the Gabba, which is the main sporting precinct there, will get an upgrade. Um, so there'll be a heap of money spent on making that an international venue, right. uh, which will be great for the Gabba going forward for, for AFL and, and anyone else who plays sport there. But yeah, generally when there's... Uh, Olympics into a city uh, like the Commonwealth Games was in 2018 on the Gold Coast, uh, the venues are spread out quite a bit because you've got running tracks, you've got uh, swimming pools, you've got lakes or beaches for, for any of the events. So it's wide and varied in terms of what goes on. It's just not one particular event. So generally speaking, it's it's spread out across. But I suppose it's looking at who's really going to benefit from it and, and why. Yeah. Now, as a starting point, I've got a little excerpt here that you provided me with um, from the AFR, Australian Financial Review, um, around some commentary they've given as to the Brisbane housing market in relation to the Olympic Games. So, um, the extract says that Brisbane house prices could more than double by the time the 2032 Olympic Games roll around. The median home values above 1.4 million um, and an economist predicts that this growth rate could be consistent with the market's past performance during the G20 summit in 2014, which is notable, um, where the prices surged uh, 112.7% over 12 years. That's nuts. And it goes on to give some more um, commentary around, you know, what we can expect it to see, to, uh, expect it to grow to with the median could soar beyond 1.5. And even if we're going to get half the predicted growth, the house prices would still surge to at least 1.2. That's from coming from Tim Lawless, who is one of the research directors at Core Logic. Now... Mm. What do we make of that? Yeah, and that was that was the first article that I uh, I read, and and it took my interest. Mm. Uh, but when you actually unpack that, 
G20 Summit 2014, 12 years prior, 112% growth. That's when you work that out, uh, I'm no mathematician, but that's about 9.3% uh, growth year on year over that 12 year period. So when you look at those figures, it's like, well, okay, well, that's that's great. It's it's better than the average growth of maybe 7% for capital cities in the last 100 years uh, annually. But was it the time that was allowed for property markets to grow or was it the G20 summit? Mm. And I'm calling the G20 summit growth as no. Okay. No, it wasn't. It wasn't that. It was just simply property prices grew because that's what property prices generally do. Now, do they spike because of certain events? Uh, potentially, but do they uh, do they grow because uh, new population to the area, imp- increased uh, infrastructure, uh, jobs to the area, all those uh, indicators, value for money, uh, they're, they're the things that are pushing property prices up, not a G20 summit or a World Expo or the 2000 Olympics. Uh, and in this particular case, I believe 2032 Olympics, uh, whilst it's, uh, what is it, 11 years away, it's got 11 years to double. So yeah, it probably will. But is it because of the Olympics? Generally speaking, I'm saying no. But there are some things we need to to look at that uh, we, we may need to keep our eye on going forward. Um, and, and the 2000 Olympics, I think Sydney went up 60%, generally speaking. And, and we are talking generally here. We're not talking specific dwelling types or particular suburbs. So that's another conversation. Uh, went up 60% from 93 to 2000. So again, seven years, 60%, nothing really outstanding. Double digit growth has occurred in capital cities in the last couple of years through a pandemic. So Mm. uh, yeah, we've just got to really look at that for what it is. Can I just chime in here with a thought that might be obvious or, or might not be. These events, right, they are a temporary event. Like they last for what, a couple of weeks at most? Yep. Yeah, about two to three weeks. And then, well, they have the uh, Paralympics as well. So all in all, let's call it a month. Okay. So this might sound silly, but will we not expect that it's really, apart from the housing prices, you know, people wanting to buy in that area because of a four-week event, will we not see that like short-term accommodation is going through the roof and hotel prices are going through the roof? Like That's probably a more likely measure of demand of being in that area for that event as opposed to this, you know, long-term, oh, I want to live in Brisbane because the Olympics is coming. I want to buy there because the Olympics is coming. It's a um, it's a little drop in the ocean really when you look at it in terms of the time frame. And maybe listeners are nodding their head going, yeah, I was thinking that too. But yeah. like surely that's where the growth is going to come from. Like if you've got yourself an Airbnb, you might be rolling in it with the Olympics. Yeah, you're right. You might be rolling in it for that four-week period. Yeah. However, what do we do for the next 10 years after owning it is is my point to, to that um, p- particular, uh, I suppose, emotional thinking that a lot of people have got. And I've already heard people on the streets saying to me, oh, let, let's buy a house in Brisbane now or apartment in Brisbane because then we can um, stay there for the Olympics. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's go and spend 800000 on a house that we can use for a month or three weeks or two weeks. Uh, and then we won't actually visit it ever again. That's a really uh, smart idea, isn't it? (laughs) Not. (laughs) So, 
yeah, I, uh, what I wanted to do was basically remove the emotion from it. Yes, there's there's a big event coming to town. Is it going to change the world uh, from from a property perspective? Uh, no. Yeah. I would agree. I think that's that's more than fair and reasonable. And I think it's so interesting, isn't it, when media takes hold of certain data and runs with it. And the, the data is true. It's the context of the data that you need to know and the back end of it um, to understand and quantify it yourself or, you know, even have us unpack it um, for you to understand, like, is is it, it could be true, like it is true, the property prices might see that sort of growth, but is it because the reason they're saying or is it, would it happen anyway? Yeah. Is it clickbait? Is it headlining to, to pe- get people to buy newspapers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but for, for those listening that may have bought property already in Southeast Queensland or mm. are c- contemplating buying there, uh, I'm absolutely not saying don't do it, it's going to be a disaster. Like you, you, there's going to be some growth there and only looking at the median price of, uh, of Melbourne and Sydney um, just recently, like Sydney's sitting at around $1.3 million as a median house price. God, that hurts. Uh, Brisbane, March of this year, was sitting at 630000 So usually when Sydney has a growth phase, Brisbane follows it to some extent. Now, it doesn't catch up to Sydney, but it definitely follows it because the Sydney side is think, oh, it's too unaffordable. Where's the next biggest um, town in the country? Well, it's Brisbane. Okay, I'll go and buy in Brisbane and get a better yield than I can get in Sydney, blah, 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 um, uh, mixed with the migration rate, moving into Queensland and, and what we call intrastate migration, which is moving within the state to a, to another region. Uh, that That's the highest in the country uh, moving to that southeast Queensland precinct. So it's got an amazing amount of uh, indicators that suggest that there, there is some growth there that's going to be achieved. Um, so, so definitely if you've got property up there, uh, I wouldn't be selling it anytime soon. And, uh, and if you are contemplating it, yeah, understand that we've we've got to look at our own personal situation, but also what type of dwelling do we think is going to work up in that region as well? Yeah, most definitely. I think that's a very valid point. And interesting to note the medians. I mean, um, God, I don't know how people afford houses in Sydney anymore. That's just nuts, like nearing the 1.3 mark. Melbourne's, you know, most suburbs of, well, inner Melbourne hit the million dollar mark. Um, yep. So 630000 as a median in that area kind of makes sense why people are jumping on it, right? Because your money goes a lot further. And also, I mean, side note, weather-wise, Brisbane ain't bad. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And that's what I uh, outlined in the webinar the other day was uh, it, it can't be underestimated that it's awesome weather up that way and people buy with emotion and especially, and, and shout out to all you Victorians, including yourself, Emily, Thank you. it, it does get pretty chilly down there in winter. So this is the biggest migration time of the year for Southerners is I've had enough of this winter again. I've, I've had it for the last 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years. Now, my time I'm going to move north so uh, yeah that there's uh, don't underestimate the amount of emotion that goes into people's decision making mm. and having sun on their back is is definitely an appealing part of that 
most definitely. Now we're going to take a quick break, but when we do come back, we're going to get a bit more specific on what you need to consider when you are buying into an area outside of the fact, you know, Brisbane situated with the Olympics there and talk about, I guess, risk factors that we need to be wary of, things we need to avoid um, and looking at overall growth. So we'll be back soon. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome back, everybody. Now, obviously, before the break, we were speaking very specifically about the Brisbane market uh, in correlation with the Olympics and, you know, potentially for investors looking in that area, what that might mean. What we're going to dive into now is probably a bit more high level and uh, relatable to any market that you're considering buying in, regardless of it being correlated with a, a major event or major infrastructure that's, you know, being put in to a city or a town. We're going to look at what you need to consider when you are growing your uh, portfolio for investment and when you go to buy. So, John has kindly provided some slides that I'm actually looking at as, I, as I'm talking to you around what we need to consider when we are buying. And the first one relates to personal price point. And I love that you've put it as personal price point because it is personal to you. And gosh, I don't know how many times I've said it, but go and get a pre-approval from a mortgage broker, please, when you're looking at price point. Um, it's really the first step and it's the most obvious one, but you need to know how much money you've got to spend, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, not, uh, it's not in isolation. That's mm. the biggest part of this is, well, okay, the bank will lend me 600000 uh, Am I okay going to spend that amount? Uh, from a risk profile point of view, or does that scare the life out of me? Um, and what's my cash flow uh, consequences of that? So what's my house going to rent for or my unit that I'm buying? What's that all going to rent for? Uh, and that brings us or narrows us down to a particular price point ceiling that we might enter into that market with. And, and then that ultimately determines which suburbs that we can physically buy in uh, along with that type of property. Now, point number two says personal gross yields. Can we unpack that a little bit more? Yeah, so gross yield high level is just simply rent per week times by 52 weeks in the year uh, divided by your purchase price 
times by 100 to get a percentage, right? So uh, yeah, $500 a week in rent, 25 grand a year roughly divided by your $500,000 purchase price gives you about a 5.1% gross yield when I last checked. So understanding how to work that out first of all, but then working out what that means from a cost perspective. Now, because we do it every day, we know what gross yield we're trying to aim for for someone's personal situation based on their uh, income levels, um, tax benefits, etc. But uh, yeah, understanding first of all what a gro- what the gross yield means, and then what that minimum gross yield you'll need to serve that property. And and we know that with low interest rate times that we're experiencing at the moment. It is a lot easier to find a property that's going to uh, cover the running costs from just the rent itself and you having to put in less than 10% of the the running costs of that property. So it's an awesome time to be buying property. Yeah, definitely. Low interest rates are are a pretty good draw card and um, rentability of suburbs as well. Now, point number three speaks to um, looking at your current portfolio and looking to diversify. So, one would assume that means that you're not putting all your eggs in one basket, although if you're looking to buy more property, you're buying the same asset class in terms of its property, but what types of property, what areas, and even maybe how those those are geared as well for tax purposes. Yeah, correct. So, there's a whole range of things that we need to factor in in, in relation to diversification, but um, geographically, where have we got our portfolio at the moment? If we haven't bought anything yet, it doesn't matter. Uh, do we have any land tax implications because that's state-based? Have we already got four properties in Queensland? Do we want a fifth one? If we do, what's the land tax going to be per year? Is that going to be uh, greater than the growth we're going to get to begin with? So so looking at that uh, and, and then understanding have we got houses in our portfolio? Have we got just uh, all two-bedroom units? Do we need to diversify a little bit there? Yeah. Yeah, important to have um, diversification in in many realms. Now, that kind of leads into the fourth point, which is what dwelling type works. Now, presumably this does vary based on area um, and also based on um, your portfolio too. So property types, obviously, you know, you've got apartments, you've got units, townhouses, houses, um, even land in some situations. Um, But understanding more intrinsically that the area um, from a rentability perspective point of view um you don't want to be the biggest thing I always sort of dwell on is you don't want to be buying something that's the stock standard that everybody has because unique always does well or you know more sought after always does well um so looking at that actual dwelling type yeah totally when when we say dwelling types we've basically got house we've got uh, townhouse, we've got units and or apartments. Uh, we, we have got duplexes, which is two, essentially two houses joined together. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've, we've got those options to begin with. Now, when we, we need to be really specific in that and, and the price point doesn't determine what particular uh, type we should be buying. So if we've got 600,000 to play with, as an example, uh, we can buy a three-bedroom house or we can buy a uh, two-bedroom apartment in the city. Which one's going to give you uh, the best long-term growth? And and sometimes, well, not sometimes, all the times we need to look at uh, what's the supply and demand in those particular areas that we're looking at uh, buying into. So I've just taken... Uh, two locations uh, which are high 
unit and apartment locations, Surface Paradise and Brisbane CBD. Shout out to anyone who's living there. Um, uh, as investment types in those particular areas since 2005. And as you can see, Emily, the, the vacancy rates uh, are like blood pressure readings mm. when you're eating fatty food. It's going it's up scary. and down and up and down <laughs> <laughs> to the point where for, for Surface Paradise on your left, the highest vacancy rate in that region was 10%. Yeah. Um, and in Brisbane, CBD was 12.5%, right? So I was told 20 years ago, never buy something with a triple O postcode. Okay. Uh, and this is exhibit A as to why you probably shouldn't is the volatility of that supply and demand. We just can't guarantee how much stock is coming onto the market and how it's actually going to affect our dwelling type. How are we going to get someone to rent it and who's going to want to buy it off us when there's always for sale signs out the front of my complex. Now, if we're living in it, totally different conversation, but we still want to have growth in our portfolio to, to, to create some financial wealth. Just to um, pick up on that point about triple O postcodes. So obviously um, they are major cities like Melbourne is 3,000, Brisbane is 4,000. The other thing with that is to factor in is the construction that goes on in those areas as well. Like there's always a new high rise going up there's always cranes in the sky um that also obviously plays into the supply and demand equation it's not just you competing with what's there when you bought you're actually now competing with more stuff being built which if people chase shining and new they might go for something that is newer rather than the property that you've bought so definitely something to consider in those um city regions yeah correct and 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 what you were talking about before was okay. Let's uh, let's let's get an apartment and Airbnb it and get mm. the, the the massive nightly rents, etc. Right. This is contrary to someone using that as an investment plan. So yeah, really understand what you want in your portfolio that's going to. Uh, sustain long term mm. and not be thinking about just that one month of Olympics in 2032. What a great month it'll be though. <laughs> <laughs> it will be a good month. Uh, hopefully the the supply is uh, is not so high come 2032 if you own an apartment in, in the CBD. Definitely. So we've kind of, I guess, touched on there what we need to avoid, you know, um, but looking at oversupply. One thing we are, oh, and we sort of, we probably could dwell a bit more into, but the high investor regions, um, I assume by that you mean um, areas that have a high percentage of um, investors that are buying into, right? Do you have a, like I was always told, uh, not always told, I heard it once, I should say, so, um, that you shouldn't be buying into areas that have um Ideally, they've got less than 30% of investors in that um, particular area and even in complexes of apartment blocks looking at the um, owner to investor ratio. Do you have a magical figure in mind that you sort of go off when you look at um, when it becomes too high of an investor area? Yeah, look, I, ideally I'm a bit more critical than that. I okay. go to 80-20. So I don't want more than 20% investors in that particular region, yep. that that estate, that suburb, that uh, that complex. Now, whilst when it's uh, getting built, it is hard to guarantee, but you can, if you dig deep enough, find the answers to that uh, and, and be reasonably accurate within a few percent. So yeah, there are a lot of... Um, 
gated estates up uh, up in southeast Queensland that will actually not allow investors in there, and and yeah. a few seep in amongst the cracks. Uh, so that might end up being a ninety ten ratio. That that's what we're after if that's the the st- type of strategy you're going in with. So yeah, those high investor regions are just again they always have a for lease sign out the front, mm. always have a for sale sign. They always uh, have they, they just look uh, inferior in in uh, in the quality that's been built and they also in the event of houses you might have cars on lawns and lawns not mowed and it's just uh, not as appealing as when you drive through a high owner rock area where everyone's really uh, meticulous about their lawns and their gardens and their the way they um, present their house house proud that's for sure house proud Now, the other thing we've noted to avoid here is areas with little infrastructure and transport options. And this is one that, gosh, it always pops up. I am personally, you know, buying for first home buyers, but buying for first home buyers who will maybe work um, shift work, so they drive everywhere anyway, but they always ask me to find them places near PT, public transport, um, because they might flip that property to an investment down the track and they believe that that's an important trait. And I would agree with that wholeheartedly. I think the more sustainable we become, the more aware of our impact on the environment as well. I feel like we're really coming to a generation where we're trying to access public transport or maximise that, you know, as much as we can, which does play into the investment realm as well. Yeah, totally. And also we're we're a country where almost half of the population is in three areas, mm. um, Sydney, Melbourne and South East Queensland. So when we've got that type of setup, there's more and more people and less and less room Right, so we need to be able to live in a life going forward where we can get by in these city centres without having access to a car or need for a car so we don't have to find a park, et cetera, et cetera. So that means we want to be able to jump on a train. We want to be able to walk to the shops. So we, we just want things at our doorstep but not an oversupply of, of what we're actually buying. Um, and and just, just on that sort of house versus unit and Mm -hmm. and full disclosure I bought an apartment in um, Brisbane not the CBD but Brisbane um, some eight nine years ago and I've also bought a house in the meantime and that house has performed far stronger than the apartment in that time Um, and I've got an example here that in the last 12 months, the house versus unit growth in Brisbane, uh, there's a 58% difference, 13% houses were up, units are up 2% in the last 12 months. So, wow. so again, that, um, yeah, the, the stats don't, uh, don't lie. It's just understanding what dwelling type is going to give you the best result based on that supply and demand. Yeah, that's um, that's some pretty interesting stats there. Sort of paints a very good picture of, of the difference, doesn't it? If you can um, can afford to to be in the housing side over an apartment in in some situations, then it looks like it might be a a way to go. Now, um, just in closing, because I think obviously you know the second half of the of the podcast, we've kind of gone a bit more high level into what we well. More specifically, this is this is your intel, John, more than mine. But what we would look for when we're buying for buying an investment property, is there anything more that you want to add in, or any advice slash suggestions that people should be considering when they're looking at an investment purchase, regardless of it being Brisbane um, or you know anywhere really in Oz? Yeah, look, we 
could go on for days as to what we need to look for. Uh, I think, as I said in the in the webinar during the week, uh, I think it's really just looking at your personal situation and seeing what you can handle and what your strategy needs to be in terms of the running costs. So what, one of the big, uh, well, the the main reason why people sell property is because they can no longer afford it. Mm. Uh, why is that? Well, they didn't factor in the running costs of that asset before buying into that asset itself or they didn't factor in the cost of running their own life before doing that. <laughs> so either way, uh, they haven't done enough research in their own backyard before they actually decided to go and buy an asset. They've just simply gone to the banks. This is what I can borrow, realestate.com. Beautiful. That looks glossy. Uh, I'll buy it. Yeah. Um, now, just to point out, because um, quite a few listeners have reached out via Insta, they maybe booked a call. Just want to highlight, John is, out of the two of us, John is the investor guy. Like he does investments, he buys investments, he's got a buyer's agency that that does it. Um, as much as I'm an investor myself, I don't actually have too much joy in buying investments for other people. <laughs> um, they're two very different sides of the fence. Um, so if you do need more, you know, in-depth help, um, you can always book a clarity call with John um, to talk through scenarios. And he does actually have, he doesn't promote it enough because I speak to people and I go, do you know John also does buyer's advocacy and you know, has an agency? And they're like, what? I never knew that. So Envisage Property is also John's company. Um, there are links in the show notes to be able to have a look at what he does, um, check him out, um, but certainly would advise you to strongly consider a, a clarity call so you can get a bit more in-depth wisdom from John himself. Sorry for clogging up your phone line, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> I think... Um, at a high level, that covers it for today. Um, you know, we're always looking to to talk investments, properties, you know, in all different ways. And I guess we always deliver information in a different way that people can understand. Hopefully something might click with you today that you've just not thought of before and it's giving you something to consider in the future. But in summary, I think my takeaway from today from, from hearing from you, John, is we need to research more behind the media articles that are put out there, you know, these direct correlations between median house price growth uh, alongside the Olympics is true, but it's not dependent upon each other, <laughs> um, which is a valid point. Yeah. And when we talk about infrastructure, and, and I'll keep banging on about this, but um, <laughs> when uh, when some type of infrastructure has been approved or, or some type of events been approved... Mm. Uh, generally speaking, there is a little bit of a, a movement in property prices uh, because, yeah, everyone's excited about it, the emotion rolls in, etc. Uh, and, and take, for example, uh, I don't know, a new road coming in, a new freeway, right? It's been approved. We can't see it for another five or six years, but it's been approved. You might see a little bit of a spike. The second time you'll see a bit of a spike again is when they start construction, oh, actually, mm. this thing's going to go ahead now. It's just not pie in the sky stuff. It's actually going to happen. Fantastic. So you might get a few more um, emotional buyers coming through then. And then obviously the last stage is when oh, I can now drive on it and I can touch it, feel it, and this is pretty cool. Um, by that stage, it's too late. Yeah. The infrastructure's already in, people are using it, and the local taxi uber drivers are saying oh we should we should buy in here now because these roads are unreal right? yeah that's um, a very valid so point those different stages of of awareness i guess of people realizing it's a good thing to jump on well i think that brings us to the end of today 
Um, I do hope that's been of value to you. I'm, I'm sure it has in terms of um, thinking of some key considerations when you are on your own investment journey. We will be back with you again next week for another episode and we'll speak to you soon. Okay, bye. Bye. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Taking your property journey to the next level starts with education. That's why we make this podcast, but we've also created online courses to equip you with the knowledge you need to take the next steps. I've created the Solvair Online Academy, open to both first home buyers and seasoned investors, where I share my tips and experience from 20 years in the property space. And I've created the Buying Coach, built from my experience as a buyer's advocate to demystify the confusion around purchasing property, particularly for first home buyers. Follow the links in the show notes to sign up and get started today. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Cybo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.